Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes, when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Okay, welcome back. This is now episode 16 of the Operator, home of the Operator. I'm glad you joined me as an operator. Fortunately for us, there is a lot of stuff to talk about. The midterms are, well, almost over. Obviously, there's runoff elections and late vote counts. You know, it's um, it doesn't take this long to count votes, but it does take this long to realize how many you need. We've covered that before. But even though the voting is technically done, there will be politics talk. We always talk about how you go to some relative's house or whatever talk politics with your drunk uncle and your snooty little college-age uh, uh, know-it-all leftist. That always gets exciting. Uh, everyone's been drinking and everyone fights, and there's always stories like that. I, I was in the military for a, a while, and I'm, I know I celebrated Thanksgiving on base. I don't know if I did on a ship. I know I've done, I've done holidays uh, in different places around the world. Uh, Thanksgiving's a good one. The, the military is usually pretty good about that one. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank. I, I, I don't think I, I know I didn't do one in a combat zone. I don't think I did on a ship. I know I did on base. I lived in the barracks on Naval Amphibious Base, Little Creek, for a number of years. I'm sure I did one there, but I, I do recall seeing them. The military is good about that. All that bullshit about, um, you know, this time the officers will serve the enlisted or whatever nonsense they try to say. But uh, it's always a good thing that, you know, it, I read it. I read a poll, and it said that uh, more beef is consumed by the military on Thanksgiving than Turkey, <clears throat> but that's neither here nor there. But we do talk politics around the Thanksgiving table. They, they say the difference between uh, or the yeah the difference between Thanksgiving and an election is on Thanksgiving you get a turkey for one day, an election you get a turkey for a full term usually. So that's hilarious. And, and again, I you may hear me tell the same joke more than once, the, the, the same story more than once, and I apologize for the redundancy, and if I steal someone else's material, which is possible, uh, I'll try to give them credit. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something clever to say about Thanksgiving, like there's a farmer joke that says uh, a farmer walks into his house with a turkey, and he goes in the bedroom and sees his wife and says, uh, here's the pig I've been sleeping with, and the wife goes, it's not a pig, that's a turkey. And he says, I was talking to the turkey. <laughs> Shit like that. Um, but it is re important to remember the men and women that are out there right now. Even though we're, not, we're no longer in sustained combat, there are people away from their homes, away from their families. Um, you know, being on a ship is very, very difficult, being, being a, away from your, uh, your wife or your husband, your loved ones. Uh, and then the loved ones back home, if they're without their, 
their father, the kids have to do it without them, sort of the parents. And it's always, I always said it's easier to go on deployment than send someone on deployment. It's easier to go to war than it is to send someone to war. So, um, you know, kudos to the family. Make sure that when you're, when you're breaking bread and smacking your aunt, uncle or whatever they call it, uh, you know, just give a little toast, a shout out to, uh, you know, you'd always say pour one out, have a drink for the people who can't, but just as far as like the Navy goes, especially the Seabees, uh, pour one out for the people who aren't supposed to have it, but snuck one in anyway, and they're having a nip of their own probably in the latrine or the head. We don't have latrines in the Navy. We have, a, it's a head, but that's, that's that. So between politics, between that stuff going on around the world, there's plenty of um, current events to discuss. One is... It's coming to fruition about 12 years later where, you know, we're decided it's going to be one, one world, one new world order so everyone can be inclusive. Let's, let's go ahead and have the World Cup in Qatar, which they're doing right now. And the World Cup, the World Cup is one of those big sporting events where the powers that be, and I'm, I'm going to totally screw this quote up, though, is if you give, the, give the, the little people their circus, they'll never revolt. And that's one of them, along with, you know, every NASCAR race, the Super Bowl, the World Series. As long as we're paying attention to shit that really doesn't matter, but we can fight each other over it, we won't pay attention to how we're getting fucked by them. But the, the, anyway, 12 years ago, I guess, they decided they're going to have uh, the World Cup in this nation called Qatar, which is a – it's an Arab state. It's uh, – in now, see, this is always fun, too. I've brought this up before – it's located in, it's a peninsula located in either the Persian Gulf or the Arabian Gulf. And that's a rift that goes back. I mean, you can, you can get in a fight over a lot of things. That's one of them. Depending on who you're talking to, speaking with, call it one or the other, or depending on how much of that Thanksgiving wine you've had, do whatever you want. So Qatar is, uh, it's, in, it's in the Persian Gulf, in the Middle East, and we're having... Um, if you're not familiar, like you're in the it is the Arabian Sea, um, you know, tra- travel. You're 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 a lot closer to the, a lot of uh, places over there than you realize. You got the the Arabian Sea that goes up to the Gulf of Oman, and it goes around the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Dubai, which is a great place. Uh, I don't think I'm going back there, but you go around the, that little horn there, you get into the Persian Gulf, Arabian Gulf, and then there's um, Qatar. Next to Qatar, off to the left, off to the west is Bahrain, which is, a, I think, an island, but it's connected by a man-made bridge. And then you've got, <clears throat> at this point, if you were sailing, like I said, you had gone past Yemen, which is lovely this time of year, around Oman, around UAE, um, and then stop in Qatar. Now, near Qatar is Saudi Arabia, which is um, Mecca, Medina, Riyadh, I think is the capital, and that's... Um, where Sunni Islam was born, and that's a historic place. Then you got Kuwait further up, which is which is bordered by the resort country of Iraq. And you actually, at this point too, so Iran is off to the right, and those are not Sunnis. That's those are Shia, and they've been fighting each other for as long as they've been around for different reasons that we'll get into in a different spot. And and believe it or not, somewhere in there, a little you know to, to the east is Karachi, Pakistan, which is a Gulf. City, a Gulf port, Karachi, where we used to have to get a lot of our stuff when we were fighting the, well, we used to say the endless war in Afghanistan, but we ended that really quickly for political reasons. But we used to have to offload ships. Not we, I didn't do it. Someone did it. Someone that we paid. Uh, a lot of, way overpaid. Karachi, then they drive up and they got to go through Pakistan, Torkham Gate, where the Taliban runs a checkpoint. We pay them off too because everyone loves money. 
So we'll pay them off. And anyway, it's, it's, it's all connected in there, if you can if you can imagine. If you pull out a map, you'll see it. Uh, it's a large planet, but it's a small world. So they, they decided 12 years ago that we're going to have the World Cup in Qatar, which is fine unless you're, uh, you know, as they call it, football, unless you're a football fan. It's not fine for a number of reasons. So uh, it is the winter months in Qatar, which means the mercury dips down to probably about 90 degrees Fahrenheit and whatever the hell that is, Celsius. For the rest of us, it's 90-something degrees. It's hot as hell. And there's a lot of things that go on in Qatar that – sorry, there's stuff that goes on in other countries that are not allowed in Qatar, which they're actually bending the rules for. Uh, one thing that you – well, it's illegal technically is drinking, which I don't know if you noticed, and people are definitely noticing right now. I'm going to call it soccer for the case of argument just because we have football here and we just call it football. But you need to have beer, I'm convinced, at a soccer game because if you're sober watching soccer, you're going to realize, holy shit, it's been three hours and it's nil-nil, or to Americans it would be zero-zero. But they said they would allow beer in the stadiums until two days before the first game a few days ago, which is very convenient you know, because that's a pretty easy country to get into, Cutter. It doesn't take a lot of planning, and the hotels or whatever, your accommodations, it'll be fine because they'll have beer there but then two days out, they're like, oh, no more beer. Not at the stadium. There are certain places, certain passports you can get. It's legal to drink at the hotel, and whichever restaurants are allowed or some bars, you can drink there, but you can't be drunk. You, can't, you can get punished for guzzling, which explains why I am not in Qatar. Um, but you can get in trouble for a lot of things over there. Drinking is a big one. You can, you know, and of course the, the, the hoity toities, the higher than life guys in, in the FIFA, whatever that stands for the soccer world, FIFA soccer world. They're saying, well, if you can't go three hours without drinking, then you're the problem, whatever. It's the fucking world cup. It should be in Rio every, every four years, not every year. They do it every four years. Anyway, it's in Qatar. Drinking is an issue. Not one of the most serious issues. Drugs, forget about it. And I'm talking, you can't even bring, if, if your pain pills are too strong, you need to, they're going to be confiscated and you need to have your prescription with you. You're not going to talk your way through that. And some of these things that they talk about, like the best thing that can happen to you is get deported. That's one of them. And, you know, there's all kinds of good shit going on over there. Flogging, uh, oh, you know, public shaming, flogging, which is like whipping you. Uh, fines, again, that's number two. Uh, deport me, fine. Fine, fine. Uh, prison, for God knows how long. Look how look how quick we forgot about Brittany Griner. She's gone for nine years in a gulag in Serbia. Not Serbia, Siberia. Not even as good as Serbia. But, you know, out of the news. As far, I mean, as, except for loved ones and the three fans of the WNBA. But if you get locked up in a prison in Qatar, they're never going to talk about you again, especially if you're one of these loudmouths that they didn't want you back anyway. And and watching some of these teams, I, you know, I don't blame them. So that's the drinking's bad. Couples is a tough one, and I'm talking married couples. You can get in trouble. I mean, they're saying again, they're easing up on what's happening over there, but like they don't want you holding hands in public if you're married. No affection, hugging is illegal. They're saying, um, it, like, say you got. Say you uh, got a buddy, one's a girl, one's a guy, a man and a woman, but you're friends, you're not married, or just friends, right? And you want to split the cost of a hotel. If they bust you in the same hotel room and you're not married, you're in a lot of trouble. 
Uh, now the big one that they've made a lot of that's made a lot of headlines now because it's happening now is uh, being gay is illegal. And I'm talking just being gay, just a dude and a dude. That's illegal. Let alone. Um, what's going on now with with trans rights and uh, all the genders and all that stuff? Just being gay is is an issue. It's uh, and like you'll hear some of these hardcore religious guys. And by the way, they're extremely conservative. Um, and that, you know that's proof right there that uh, one side of the aisle or other, extremely far to the right or extremely far to the left, you got to chill out a little bit. But they're I mean they're even saying yeah they'll say like yeah fine it might be tolerated but it's still a a mental disorder which is wrong according to God, and that's a big issue. And and what a lot of these teams were doing is they want to protest, which okay, you know do your protest, but. Even as far as the, the English team, they, they were going to wear the rainbow armband in, in protest, which is, you know, and they're saying we're raising awareness to the rest of the world. And if you think about that, that's a, the World Cup. That is a great stage to raise awareness that um, not all of the world acts the way you act. We're raising awareness that it's okay to be gay. And that's fine. You also need to realize that you are in their country now. This is how they, you don't go into someone else's house and tell them what's what. So they were threatened with something, and I heard it's everything from uh, deportation to a yellow card for each guy or whatever. They gave that up quick. Boom. Okay. We we try to pretend we're tough, but we're not. And then they took the armbands off. And then the U.S. men's team was, uh, they, I think they were going to replace the red, white, and blue, which is the... Uh, that's the colors of the United States with the rainbow. And they, then they said they, they were told they couldn't, so they didn't. Then they just replaced it, I guess. I didn't see it in their locker room after, afterwards on, a, on their own facility, on a U.S. facility. I think it might be at one of the bases. And they did that, but they, it's kind of backing down. The only people who protest were the Iranians. Now, this is, a, this is real courage. I'm not sure if you saw this, but Iran played England two days ago. And they protested what's going on for real in their country. I'm talking real problems. These are not our problems, first world problems. These are real problems. And I'm talking murdering a woman because she didn't have enough of her hair covered by her scarf. And they're tired of the Ayatollahs. They're tired of the, um, the regimes. When they play the Iranian national anthem, not one of the players, they all stood because they still have at least that. They all stood for the national anthem, but none of them sang. And the camera went past them. And if you think for a second that the, uh, the powers that be in Iran were not watching that, you're lying to yourself. And those guys could potentially, I mean, if you don't think we're going to hear from a, you know, a dude from London that got put in jail, we're not, you're not going to hear shit about these Iranian soccer players if they decide anything will go down. That is courage. That is a protest. And I think that is standing by your guns. So that's a lot of the stuff that's going on over there in in Qatar, that part of the world. And I want to talk a little bit about the game. So USA played uh, played Wales, and I'm a World Cup fan. I am, and, and uh, I love to watch the World Cup every four years. And I like it when it starts somewhere over there because you can go out early. It's on somewhere in the restaurants. Um, it's just a it's a good time. It's. I think it's per, personally. I was. You know. I was kidding earlier about it being boring. I enjoy the whole game. You can sit there and like look at your phone, but you might miss a goal, which might not happen. But it's a good time. But I'm a big fan of USA soccer. And if you're going to protest, fine. I I respect the fact that you were good enough to make that team and you're playing a part of the team. That's great. But 
they're in a pool uh, right now, Group B, where they were supposed to beat Wales. And if you do, you get a certain amount of points. If you lose, you're pretty much out. But if you tie, which they did, that's an issue because now um, on Friday, USA plays England, and now you have to tie or win. And then you got to beat Iran, which the way it works, I don't have time to explain it because Right, I mean, right about now, however many 15 minutes into this podcast, someone that really knows soccer slash football is already saying this guy has no idea what he's talking about because he keeps saying soccer or football, doesn't even know what FIFA stands for or, or how it is pronounced. Um, that was it. <laughs> after, uh, after, I, the, after the U.S. – the U.S. had the – well, I wouldn't say had it won, but they were up 1-0, which means in soccer you might be winning, but you want to make sure you don't – uh, you don't want to – I think they should have played the way – you don't need to adjust. I heard some of the commentators today saying uh, something along the lines of uh, you. something happened somewhere else and now we need to readjust our adjustment for the next game. No, you need to play to win right now. Uh, and they uh, apparently they didn't. And, and something that the, – the, there's a young team. I think there's one team that's younger in there. And I, I forget which one it is, but they're, they're the second youngest team in there, which means – out of all of them, that well, there's one guy on Team USA. The rest of the team, that was their first game each in the World Cup. So you need to go in there to win with the realization that I know it looks great on paper, but you're from the United States of America. Not everybody likes you, especially in Qatar, because we have a tendency to launch wars nearby Qatar from Qatar. The fans aren't really going to like you, even though there was a great showing of fans. I thought it was great. You could hear. And even the USA, USA chant was, was audible. I mean, you could understand it because no one was drinking at the game because obviously drink is bad. You go to hell. But um, you can't play and let the ref decide. It's like boxing. Don't let it go to the judges. You need to fucking win this game. For some reason, a, a, a penalty was called at the end, and Wales, Wales hit it, and nil-nil. And that was it. Uh, and, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things, though. We'll see how they rebound. You need to come out and fight against England. There's no – they're better than us, which they might be, but this is the World Cup. Anything can happen. But you need to come out and play to win, not play to not lose. And, and you can't depend on the refs, especially when they don't like you. But that was uh, Wales and the U.S. I called my brother after the game, and we were talking about uh, – um, Wales, United States, and he told me the same old joke where he said, "Yeah, this after the game there was a there was a guy that heard these two women talking with an accent, and he goes, excuse me, are you two from England?'" And they said, "It's Wales, fucker." And he goes, "I'm sorry, are you two Wales from England?" <laughs> I say this every episode. I cannot harp on it enough. Right now, a report recently came out that American household net income dropped by over six trillion. Just in the second quarter of this year, that's the most on record. Were you prepared? What are you doing to plan for the report that's coming out next? Take my advice. Protect your financial future with gold and silver from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. I've been all over the planet, and there is one universal currency that is always of value, and that is gold. Allegiance Gold has some of the highest ratings in the industry. Five stars with TrustLink, AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. 
Go to protectwiththeoperator.com and get up to $2,500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them that the operator sent you. Or give them a call at 844-790-9191. That's 844-790-9191. We cannot control the Biden administration, but we can prepare for the consequences of their policies. Go to protectwiththeoperator.com. That's protectwiththeoperator.com. Or give them a call at 844-790-9191. But I am, I am sure I screwed at least one of those jokes up. They're from somebody else. Um, I think my brother Tom said it better than I did. He's, a, he's an excellent joke teller. And I, did, I said nil-nil for Wales in the United States. It was 1-1 because obviously the United States scored first and then the PK equalizer in the second half. It's 1-1. Um, but that's what's going on in Qatar right now, and it is the World Cup, and I love the idea of the world coming together because uh, I've said it before, and I will again, I think that most people are good, and even though it's questionable where they're playing this, everything from the heat to the lack of alcohol at a soccer match, um, it's good to see so many countries come together. Now, the politics around it, they're happening. I mentioned the circus and the people, but the, the powers that be, the people that are pulling the strings, you got on one side, literally on one side, you got Iran. Across the Middle East, you've got Israel. They don't like each other. And then below that, we already crossed it. If we were coming by, by ship through the ditch, we passed Yemen. And Yemen is where there's fighting going on between the, the Shia and the Sunnis. The Sunni, um, be it ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or whomever that they're fighting there in Yemen because that's where they go because we try to chase them out of everywhere we go. And you're as successful with that as you are trying to nail Jello to a wall. So the Sunni militants or whatever they call themselves are fighting the Iranian proxies, which are the Houthis. And the Houthis are fighting in Yemen against – they're fighting each other all over the place. But what the Houthis have been successful at doing is firing on Saudi Arabia proper – uh, they've done everything from you know person-to-person attacks. They love suicide bombers. For some of these fanatics, they love the idea of going to heaven as soon as I hit the magic switch. Missiles and drones where they drop bombs out of drones. So they're figuring Iran wanted to maybe attack the World Cup because that's a way for them to show. Because they are the number one sponsor, state sponsor of terror in the world, and they would love to hit the World Cup. Now, they don't get along with Israel. Israel has intelligence people, and they're a lot more strike first than wait to get struck and then strike back. So they're always watching Iran. They're looking to hit Iran. They came out and said Iran is going to try to hit the World Cup either by their special forces or by the Houthis. They told us this. Uh, Israel told us this. And Israel tells us, like I said, they're they're the little Satan. America is the great Satan, but because in they're that they're in that part of the world, Iran wants to kill Israel. So Israel told us they're probably going to do this, and they they're you know they're in it for themselves as well as stability if they can across the region. And I, I the way Iran plays this whole game game, the way Iran does this is that they're playing against Israel. They want to wipe Israel off the map. They've said it. They're not joking about it, and they want to do it. And they want to do it with nuclear weapons. And for some reason, we can't beat that through the head, plural, the heads of our politicians, because they want to always do an Iranian nuke deal, which means we promise to give, you know, to relieve sanctions and give you money, sometimes if it has to be on a 
crate and it's all cash in euros that we flew in from somewhere else. We'll do it because if you pinky promise you won't build a nuclear weapon, we'll let you have nuclear power for peaceful reasons only. And of course, Iran's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, no big deal. Sure. So knowing that the way they're doing it is if they can get a nuclear weapon, which they want, they can actually fight like the game of risk where the war of attrition. Iran is bigger, landmass, more people. If we can start to destroy Israel, eventually we'll wipe them out before they wipe us out. And we'll have enough people left and Israel will be gone, and that's kind of what they're doing. So this is, this is all the stuff going on. We've got politicians talking everywhere. Iran wants to hit us. And, um, but the stuff going on behind the scenes that you may not know, there, during this whole thing, there was, the, there was history made with the first flight ever from Tel Aviv to Doha, and this happened. So we're we're even okay. Now the Palestinians soccer team didn't make the World Cup, and the Israeli team didn't make the World Cup, and sometimes they may have qualified, but they're not going for security reasons. But people from Israel, Jewish and Palestinian, were on the same flight that that took off from Tel Aviv and landed in Doha. Historic flight. And this is really good for world peace. This, now, I mean, not this is a good start for a potential of at least pe- some peace in the Middle East because you've got direct flights from Israel to Qatar, which is great, and and people from a lot of different countries on there, and uh, they're just some soccer fans coming over, but naturally they get closer to the day, and people that don't like Israel and Qatar are now saying, well, yeah, you can come, but we're not allowing a lot of our chefs and our restaurants to make kosher food kosher meals and you can't eat kosher in in public or whatever weird shit you know it's the whole well two days out no more beer no more beer in the stadium because that's that's how we're going to roll so it just you know it shifts and it's shady but it ended up happening and the flight was made and the football fans are there and the world cup's going on you got to watch behind the scenes because you never know you only you only need to be wrong one time but this is um this is the world cup and it's going on in cutter now i bring up cutter because it, for some reason, a lot of my stories deal with certain places around the world. What's that old frogman saying? I've been around the world twice to talk to everyone once. I bring up Qatar because that is actually where my team went after we rescued Captain Richard Phillips in 2009. April 2009, we jumped into the Indian Ocean and rescued Captain Phillips from Somali pirates, and we ended up in Qatar. Because of training scars, because of stuff that you do in training and you didn't think outside of the box enough to realize what's happening. And a, a, a training scar is anything. Uh, it could be if you're in the shoot house or the kill house and you blow up a breaching charge, but it lights the wooden door on fire. But you go over and you grab the the uh, Navy mandatory fire extinguisher that's on the wall and has been checked off for its quarterly it's good to go and you put it out. Now, you you can put the fire out. However, you do that on the third floor in a house in Kandahar, the house is just going up. You better get the fuck out, man. Landslide, let's get off this building. But that's a training scar. Um, and even on the jump in for for Captain Phillips, but you got to figure, we did that in April of 2009. SEAL Team 6 was uh, commissioned in 1980, and it was designed to rescue American hostages at sea. But it had never been done, not one time, from from the beginning to the end. It had never been done one time. So, uh, well, I mean, one of the training scars on the jumps, we trained a lot, and we're, we are coming up with different tactics, and we are changing tactics because one may one way might be better than another way. But what is the worst 
case scenario. And you need to think about that. What is something we've never thought of? We, you know, we learned early uh, uh, jumping. When you're doing a night jump, that's fine on the land. If you're landing on the mountain, yeah, on the cliff, it's, you know, God bless you. I hope you have your wind calcs right. You can land in the field, in the desert, at night, because you're probably not going to drown. Doing a night jump in the water is not a good idea. I've mentioned this before because if you separate, you know, you get some sort of a malfunction cut away, you end up further down, and the wind carries you, and you land by yourself in the open ocean, they're probably never going to find you again. So we, we learn to do day jumps because you, the, there's a lot of water on this planet. If you go far enough away, what we call over the horizon, then they can't see you, so we'll jump in the day. And then we're trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. Do you send the boat that has the parachutes on it out of the plane first and follow it and you know, you know, just go with the wind and land with the boat when it lands? Or do you send the boat out, send the boat guys with it or one guy with it, whatever kind of boat you're jumping? And so what we came up with was we'll send the boat out, send the boat guys with it, and they'll fall with it. They'll land next to it. They'll take the boat apart. Not apart. They'll take the parachutes off the boat. They'll dig-rig the boat, make sure the motors are running as our airplane's doing a big racetrack, and then we will jump out. And then all, our job is simple. Find the the boats that are in the water with the kick-ass boat guys, boats ready to roll. Here's the deal. We'd never done it before, but we did do it a lot off the coast of Virginia, off the coast of North Carolina. But what do we say? Nobody outranks safety. What is always in the water with the boats after they land? The safety boats. What are the safety boats doing? They're off on the corners, you know, an azimuth off of the boats that landed, and they're spinning circles in the ocean. They're stirring up the sea, which marks the drop zone for me, the lead jumper. So I jump out, and like the guys behind me will do a four count, depending on our altitude. I'll do a six count to get a little further down, collect the stack, and then all I have to do is, uh, you know, go into the wind, figure out the wind. There's my drop zone because there's the safety boats. Easy day. We're going to land, and it's going to be great. I hope someone brought the fried chicken. The problem on a, um, a real-world jump is there were no safety boats. So, you know, we jump out. I can't find the ship. I could see a ship, the USS Boxer, but I can't see um, see the boats. That was a training scar. Another another training scar on that jump is we're jumping. You get what you can carry for that entire mission. So we have stuff in the boats that can you know survive the the um, the initial blast and then the canopy open and then the land and the water, but you can only put so much stuff in there. And now because it's a real-world mission that had never been done before, every swing and dick at that command wants to get on this jump. We have a certain amount of guys in the squadron that are going to go, but now we got dudes that are up on the third deck up in the administration department literally knocking the dust off their trident saying, I got to be on this jump. Like I'm giving – before we jump real world, I'm giving jump master, JMPI, jump master personnel inspections to dudes who probably haven't jumped in years, but they got to be a part of this. Um, So – Everyone was bringing everything they didn't need to bring, including the boat guys. Like there were boat guys that before we jump, we were telling them, you got to take these few cases of nine mil off this boat. Lose your pistol, dude. I'm not bringing a pistol. What the hell do you need a pistol? Lose this. Training scars. We didn't know for sure what we actually needed. And when, when soup came to nuts, here it is. What are you carrying? And so we're, we're like, I didn't even jump a dry suit. I jumped a bag. I got my gun. I got a bag. Um, the little stuff that you can bring with you. What can you carry under your canopy? And, and you know, of course, uh, you got to keep morale high. So uh, you can keep morale things that are just teeny that might help you a few days in the field. Dental floss. Carry one of those little bad boys. When shit goes sideways, you can, 
you can floss and your mouth feels cleaner. Um, you can get one of those little country club already uh, toothpasted tooth or toothbrushes. You know, they keep it in a bag. What I brought for my comfort item was a leopard towel, like a, a, a bath towel, but it, it, it's like leopard skin. I'll find a picture that I think I still have it. I bought it um, when I was in E6 at the Navy Exchange. You, you know, your family store, everyday low prices. I brought this leopard towel with me, and I have that in there. It's one of my things. But so we're figuring out what we need to jump. The Obama administration is a few months into their first term. So they're, they're not thinking down to the micro of what we are jumping. They're thinking, well, we're jumping these dudes in there. What if we need follow-on missions? What if we need to do everything else, right? So, so we're not planning that. We do the jump out. We land. Thank God we, I did find the ships because or the boat. It was easy to do that. We had so many guys on this boat. The, we had four boats, high-speed assault crafts. We, you know, there's a certain amount you can fit in there, but we jumped so many dudes from that command that didn't need to be there. We have pictures of us pulling up to the USS Boxer. Like the Navy dudes, the, uh, the salty sailors are, are up there with the crane, and they're going to well, there's pictures they took of us, and we, what we called it, we looked like a Haitian vacation. We got legs and arms and ass hanging out of these things. They pulled them up there, and then now we're on the USS Boxer. We jumped into um, the Indian Ocean 16 hours after we got the call, and we don't know what we're going to do. It's, the, it's, again, a training scar. It, in, it, since from 2000 to 2009, we thought of everything. Is it going to be a cruise ship? Is it going to be a nuclear ship? Is it going to be a submersible? What We thought of everything in 28 years, 29 years. We didn't think of, will it be an orange lifeboat fully engulfed being towed by a destroyer? No, we didn't think of it. Okay, so what are we going to do? So we, you know, we didn't jump in there to kill those guys. We jumped in there to rescue the hostage. It wasn't like the movie where... Three, two, one, execute. We put snipers on the back of that ship, watch them, make sure nothing unsafe happens as we prepare for the rescue. That was it. And then some, something happened and they shot. And they were prepared. Their guns were sighted in for the most difficult shots of their lives. What we um, hadn't thought of, think about this. Uh, this is why whenever you get into a situation and you're running a business, you're running a small team or whatever, don't be afraid to take the advice of the youngest guy there. The, if you're running a company, the guy fresh out of, out of uh, college or the guy fresh out of high school, the GED, uh, ask him what he thinks. What's the worst thing? Because he's, you, know, you don't want to get lulled into that. Well, this is the way we've always done it, shit. But we never thought of how are we getting home? We jumped these dudes in there. They were just getting ready for a long Easter weekend. Now they did this. Now they, you know, did the Navy SEAL shit. They uh, kill the bad guys, rescue the good guy, get the chick. It's all good. The credits roll. How do we get them home? No one thought of that. But also the powers that be, the the leadership was thinking, well, what if we do follow-on missions? So we, we sat on the boxer with the stuff that we jumped. When we got off that Haitian vacation thing on the boxer, we're like trying to wash our stuff, and we have it hanging from 550 cord that we hung up because all I have is what I jumped with. So we, we didn't have anything else, but now in Washington, they're thinking, what if we have to do other stuff? We're not, we're not going to do other stuff. And actually, we got a chance. We got together as we're doing gator squares on these ships. We all got back to the USS Boxer after the rescue of Captain Phillips. And actually, some guys were smart enough to actually get a picture-shaking Phillips hand, like the um, smiley, grabby, smiley picture with Captain Phillips. I didn't get to do that. I wish I would have, but <clears throat> some guys did. Um, good pictures. I'm sure we have some somewhere, but I was talking to the sniper that initiated the fire, and I call him Johnny in my book, The Operator, 
And uh, here's how cool he was. So um, th- there's a there's a lot of pressure that comes with something that big. I didn't know that at the time, but at the time, this was the most important mission that we'd ever done. Like he just took a sniper shots and rescued a guy at sea. That's badass. But some of the things he ran into. Uh, for some reason, the big dick thing, his boss was next to him, but he didn't shoot because he wasn't quite ready when they shot. And so he was pissed at him. And uh, you start to deal with that petty bullshit that uh, you can never be happy for another guy that did well at that level. You need to you just whatever. And uh, I remember talking to him. Here's how cool he was because he's actually a silent professional. And I said, dude, you just did the most important thing, the most historic mission in the history of the SEAL teams. And he said, uh, cool, can we go home? But it's going to be even harder to get this done without a good night's sleep. That's why I'm asking you to check out Ghostbed. Wonderful mattresses, super comfortable, and they're made in the USA. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some even have a 25-year warranty, and you can try them out for 101 nights. And if you don't like it, send it back. No hard feelings. My favorite part about Ghostbed is it has cooling technology, so when it gets hot, in the middle of the night, which it does, not a big deal. Ghostbed also offers bundles so you can get everything you need. You don't really even need to think about it. Just choose from one of their four mattresses and then pick your bundle. So whether you need a mattress and a frame or just want it all like cooling pillows or sheets, you can get it all right there. Most bang for your buck when you go to ghostbed.com slash drinking bros or go to ghostbed.com and use the promo code drinking bros. You get 30% off right now. Ghostbed.com slash drinking bros. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, that was awesome. And it was, you know, so, so cool that we were able to do that. And the, the sniper just hang and we go home and we wanted to, but, but again, nobody ever thought, how do we get these guys home? So we're on the boxer and they're, I mean, they're to the point too, where someone needs to say, going up the chain of command, we can't do follow on missions. Like we're, cause everyone back stateside was like, great. We just knocked this out and look how cool this new administration is. And what if they find a mothership full of pirates or we need to go do a hostage rescue in Somalia. It's like, what with my dental floss? Come on, I got what I came with. So we're wearing, and you know, we have mixed match camis because we were high speed at the time. We're getting new shit. Like some, someone's got like the digi uh, woodland, and you got the jungle shit, and some guys are wearing desert, whatever. And we're on the boxer, and they get, they're trying to figure out how to get us home. So someone decided, well, let's just send them to Cutter, and then th- that's where they can do their follow-on missions. And I'm like, follow-on missions? I don't even have sneakers. Uh, so they decided that. So we ended up going somewhere, and then we took a flight to to Doha, Qatar. And I bring that up because Qatar, World Cup, Qatar, center of the Middle East. <laughs> it's the middle of the Middle East. Uh, and that for some of you out there, that's not Nebraska, the Middle East. Middle East. Um, anyway, we get to Doha, Qatar, and we're, we got everything that we uh, thought we <laughs> everything we came with, and now we're we're there. We're going through customs. We're at Doha. We went to a place that it, okay, it was it was not IUD the uh, the airbase where we're sending the bombers from. And again, that's one of those things where they say, um, "Well, did you deploy? Yeah, I went to Qatar or I went to Kuwait. Well, that's not a deployment. Well, it kind of is because if you used anything through the supply line or you needed bombs one time from like a a B one, it probably came from there." And yeah, that was a combat deployment, but that's neither here nor there. That's veterans being veterans. Just just always bring each other down. <laughs> so thanks for your service. Now go fuck yourself. So we're, we end up in, we're in uh, Camp Snoopy. And that was a thing 
It's in Doha, and there's an airfield there, and it's one of those things that, like, officially, it was only open during the first. I love the first Gulf War because if you can imagine, we did have a war over oil in the early '90s. So that's when Camp Snoopy was open. It reopened in '96, allegedly and officially, until 2004, because that's like a year after the invasion. I don't know. It's still there, Camp Snoopy. That's where we end up, and now we're in line for in customs. So you've got the. This is how unprepared we are for a lot of things if you if you don't just go by the rules by the books and just do the plan uh plan and plan and plan and go you know everything every line by line we're in customs in cutter the team that just rescued richard phillips from seal team six it's on the news and we're not like advertising but we're wearing those camis i was talking about we're the cool guys out there probably still you know, dripping wet from from salty sea and blood and, and shit and navy chow from the boat. We're standing there, and they want us to like, give us your IDs. We have our IDs, believe it or not. Dudes carry their IDs. It's like the E&E kit. I might need this. But we have our actual IDs, our military IDs. And they're like, well, you got to show these guys your ID to get into the country. And we're like, to get into the country? We landed on a an, an Air Force base. No, you got to go through customs and... It's one of those herd mentality type things where like, and the guys are literally like, fuck that. I'm not giving these guys my ID. And you, well, you have to because whatever. And, and, or you can stay. I, and thinking back, we probably should have just stayed there in the lobby and eaten out of whatever uh, vending machine they had. But we didn't. And we, and they took our IDs, military IDs, the team that just rescued Richard Phillips in another room that we can't see him. And we're like, what's going on? Oh, we're processing your IDs, which means they're photocopying them. And they're probably scanning them and sending them to every Al-Qaeda guy they know. And someone will say, well, why are you bringing this up? It's like, I, this isn't breaking news. This happened. And people know it happened. Our leadership, that's how shitty some of our leadership is. They know this happened. And if you want, you can put your head in the sand and pretend it's all good and nobody knows. Or you can open your fucking eyes and realize it's out there. And someone has it. And... It's a training scar because now we're in Doha because someone who didn't understand the mission wasn't properly prepared and the leadership below them only wanted to tell them exactly what they wanted to hear so they can get promoted. Someone open your fucking eyes and realize an assault team from SEAL Team 6, a hostage rescue team, just handed their IDs over that got processed. So we know it's fucked. And here's how, I'm not going to get too much into this, but I was asked a question recently talking about this because you know i think cutter i think operational security someone said and again i'm not getting into the program well didn't you have fake ids yeah why didn't you bring them uh because the security office didn't think we might need them we went through all that we got all the fake shit but we didn't bring them let's process our ids let's fucking go into camp snoopy so we did and now we're in camp snoopy al-qaeda's got our info um, and we're wearing the shit we brought and whatever knapsack or what do we call it, rucksack or three-day pack, whatever high-speed shit you got. And they put us in these uh, uh, makeshift tents, two of them, two big ones with bunk beds. And we're pretty high-speed, so each dude got their own. So, like, the top one is for you and the bottom one's for your gear. But we don't have anything. To We got nothing. So they had to go through the paper rigmarole to get us uh, they call them contingency funds so that we could go to the uh, the PX, again, everyday low prices, and buy stuff to wear, buy tennis shoes and socks to work out in because we don't know how long we're going to be here. We, we don't know uh, what's going to be going on. We don't know 
what, whatever we're going to be doing. We, I, like, I remember I needed to buy uh, goggles, and we, guys bought swim gear because there's a pool here, and we might be here forever. So we went to the PX, but also there was uh, these fake PXs <laughs> with locals, and they're selling... It's not authentic stuff. It's they're not like Oakleys. They're like Folkleys and uh, Adidas. <laughs> There's like fake Nike shit. So we we suit ourselves up with that. We're wearing this. We think we're cool as shit because we each got three hundred bucks from Uncle Sugar, living large. And then we're rolling around this base. I don't know. I forget how long we were there, but that was it. And that's when we realized because you know we we can talk our way into. Uh, into a lot of situations, we realized this is where a lot of the men and women from Iraq were getting some of their R and R. I don't know how many days a year they get, but they get to come here. And again, if you're on an American base, you get to have beer. I think it might have been two or three a day, and they would scan your ID, which we had apparently. We had to get them back from Al-Qaeda, but we had our IDs, and they had like, you would go indoor to this, like it looked like it was an indoor building, but it looked like an exterior, like the inside looked like an outside. So like there's fake Irish pubs and fake restaurants. They're real, but they look like you're outside, but you're inside. And like there was karaoke night and we would get our three beers. And obviously we would go to um, the most noble of our squadron first, knowing they didn't drink alcohol. Can I get your ID so I can charge myself a couple more beers? And you could get them with their ID. And that, you know, everyone figured out who the, the good people were, who the bad people were. So the good people's beers were gone that day. So we had to go start finding army people and saying, hey, man, here's the deal. And I'm not fucking with you. And you tell them what they need to hear. Do you not drink? Like you look for the dude on the laptop that's you know skyping his <laughs> his girlfriend back in the states because this is his for, first war deployment and she got done with whatever dude she was on and now she's skyping him like but whatever. And so you, you know he's not drinking because he's too busy crying because he's going to marry this girl because he's 19. You know what do they say? You're old enough to uh, you're old enough to be a felon but not old enough to drink. <laughs> but we couldn't there. So you borrow his, you go get your ID, and we've for some reason we always found enough beer and so we're rolling around in our fake nike stuff and our real oakley's going like everywhere going from the pool finish your workout towel off with your leopard towel and then you know roll over to the chow hall off to the irish pub sing some mac the knife we're here to get you out so we were talking about combat quite a bit and we talk about being prepared for stuff especially stuff that you don't think can happen i've been to combat i'm also a father and the difference between Having a baby and being in combat is at least in combat, there are some rules. That's why you need to check out tacticalbabygear.com and get some tactical baby gear. It helps you out wherever you are. It's highly practical. It's military grade, highly functional, extremely high quality. It's always ready. You can turn your uh, three-day pack into a changing table as soon as you want. There's diaper bags, baby carriers, strollers, wagons, everything you need in between. There's a lifetime warranty. Like I said, it's high-speed stuff. Go to tacticalbabygear.com and use the code the operator. Save 15%. That's tacticalbabygear.com. Use the code the operator. God, guns, and now diapers. Yeah. And then uh it's it's over as quick as it started. Uh like I said, one day it's a, a three-day weekend. The next you're jumping into the Indian Ocean on some boats to a ship. Some one of your buddies who you were hanging out with in Virginia Beach uh, the week before is a hero. The next thing you know, you're in Doha. You're 
having a harder time getting through customs on an Air Force base in the Middle East than anybody from any country who wants to come into the United States from the southern border. That's where we're at at this point. And then um, hopefully we're learning everything from what we are expected to do, what we're able to do, what our capabilities are, who's telling everyone up and down the chain of command what we can do, and then getting the youngest guy in the rooms um, – what he, you know, what he or she thinks about whatever, because maybe you didn't think of that idea, thinking outside the box. What's the worst thing that could happen? Then this happens, uh, and then we went back, we geared up, and then we went back um, to Afghanistan because that's what we're supposed to do. We went to Afghanistan. That was the uh, 2009 Sharana deployment, back and forth, a couple months on, a couple months off, training for everything, thinking of contingencies, and that's just the way it rolled, and. Uh, that's the biggest mission we're ever going to do. <laughs> then you come back one day and you get into a room and they tell you uh, the reason you're here. This is not a drill. We found a thing. A thing is in this house. This house is in a bowl. You're going to go into this bowl, get this thing, and you're going to bring it back and show it to us. And again, no idea what we're doing. Didn't it The worst thing that could happen, we trained for 30 seconds on, and that was about it. But that's the way that it rolled. And, and um that's some of the stuff that I remember, some of the stuff coming up on Thanksgiving that I'm thankful for. That's some stuff that you need to think about that you should be thankful for. Like uh, I mentioned going to the table and sitting with the drunk uncle who's the far right wing conservative wearing the MAGA hat and the young girl who's back from college and there's going to be arguments and that's okay. Um, I don't think it's as bad as it, as it, as it should be, but it's very, very dangerous because what people see on social media perception sometimes can be reality. And even, I mean, believe it or not, even with uh, TikTok is a Chinese uh, program. It's Chinese algorithms. And I don't know if you buy this, but they show American kids different algorithms than Chinese kids. They show us stuff that wants us to question our history, wants us to question the decisions that we're making. They're forcing stuff like climate change and green energy, even though China is responsible for getting, you know, destroying the earth to get the, the natural gas or whatever kind of minerals they get to make the electric car so you can plug it into the car that magically charges in four hours. Uh, but I, I don't think it's as bad as as it looks on TikTok that some people screaming and crying, but it can be because if you're you're being fed that algorithm and you're believing truly that this is a horrible place. I, I was watching some stupid shit. I don't have a TikTok account, but somehow I managed getting on it. My, me personally, I'm on it. And You'll see stuff where there there was like the cryathon where people just cry and wake up and cry and uh, well today started horribly because well I woke up oh fuck you first world problems I wish you knew what problems were you know you haven't seen what a lot of people like the stuff behind the scenes right now there was just a handshake deal made well not a handshake a fist bump between <laughs> President Joe Biden and uh, Iran like well we'll knock it off they had more executions recently than ever they, they're executing foreigners for certain shit cutting heads off in the square beheaded we don't pay attention because TikTok we're worried about. Uh, Thanksgiving and celebrating uh, um, people who, you know, I don't want to celebrate stuff on stolen lands. And I'm not going to get into that whole thing right now, but it's a different time, different place. I mean, look at interviews of Barack Obama before he was a president talking about um, marriage being between a man and a woman. You might not be able to find it, but it's there. That's time and place, and that's a matter of 15 years. Think about the way people acted when, you know, we're talking about a couple centuries ago, someone left Italy thinking the world was flat, which, of course, people do now because you don't remember your history, but he, he might just sail off the fucking earth and he finds the new land and then the, the pilgrims come and it's a different place and 
And believe it or not, people fought back in the day, and it was up close and personal. This is before a lot of guns, and, and they were keeping it fucking real. And, and, you know, land was taken how land was taken. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but time times are different and time changes, and I hope people change with it too. And I think we're evolving in that. But for people to look back and think, I won't celebrate this because damn our history. And then these are the same people that want to destroy our history. You know, as opposed to... Uh, doing something courageous like the Iranian soccer team did and stand there not singing their own national anthem, listening to their countrymen boo the national anthem because they have real problems back home. Our people here, they get taught stuff by some dickhead and a professor who's never done, or in, uh, some dickhead professor who's never done anything in their life in a classroom, and because he's going to get paid no matter what, he's going to tell them how bad this place is, and all of a sudden they, they declare war on statues. They don't even know what the hell they're, they just think because it's a statue you should tear it down. Sure, I mean, p- people who are doing bad stuff, we don't need to celebrate, but don't forget it, because if if you don't remember your history, you're going to repeat it. And so you get these jackholes saying they don't want to celebrate. Th- Dude, fine. More turkey for me. I don't want you with that thing. Don't go, go, go cry yourself to sleep on your huge pillow. Whatever, but that, that's just, that's kind of, it seems like the way it is, and they're just, they're looking for stuff, especially now, because it's going to turn into that slow news cycle where, um, it's like the, it's Thanksgiving now, and then, I don't, I don't like to raise a fuss. I swear to God, I don't want to hear all I want for Christmas is you until at least December 1st. Like, I'll put up with the November Christmas tree, but for God's sake. And, and think about Mariah Carey. She's got to be exhausted. <laughs> but that's a friggin' song. Um, but it's going to be the slow news cycle from now, and then it kind of goes gray, and then we hit. Christmas, we'll do some. I mean, I'll, I'll we'll talk before Christmas, but then you you get into the like. There's there's that that uh, space between Christmas and January first where we don't know really where we are, and everything turns off. Oh, it's going to be one of those things. But uh, yeah, we're getting there, and it's like it's. But I mean, even like look at the shit that's going on right now. Speaking of China, they they sent uh, Vice President Kamala Harris to Asia. She's rolling over there now. If you can imagine, no idea what she's talking about, but she's one of those people that if you just keep saying enough, uh, people will stop listening. So they're sending her over there, and naturally she's doing her go-to, you know, racism and sexism and homophobia and green energy and climate change, blah, blah, blah. The, ru- the rumor, the word on the street is that she's going over there because this administration wants to expand. Uh, military bases. So she's over, like, in the Philippines, the PI. And, like, we shut stuff down, but now they want to reopen it. Be, I don't know if this is true. That's what I'm hearing, and uh, because you know we need to show force with uh, with China because they're they have man made islands that they're surrounding Taiwan, and they they're saying they're going to invade Taiwan. Not invade, they're going to take it back. Well, they're going to take it because it's part of their sovereign sovereignty. So we need to show a force. So when I think force, I think Kamala Harris watching a bunch of dudes walk around with barrels full of fish on their head, not knowing what the hell she's talking about, forgetting to thank the troops, mind you, who are there. And like they, they they want to be so tough on China because everything from TikTok to the Chinese spies that are infiltrating our government who run a lot of our universities you've seen them, yeah they're tough now. Um, there are there we, I mentioned this I think in the last podcast. There's Chinese uh, police stations in New York City and they're saying this is so we can uh, monitor our Chinese citizens that might not know their way around or speak the language. Bullshit! You're there to grab them, put them in something, they're taking them back to China. You never see him again, and and they'll play tough on China. But you know, it doesn't matter that you know senators like Barbara Boxer had a Chinese spy driving for her for twenty years. Eric Swalwell, who's a representative, um, you know, what's her name? Oh God, I wish I remembered her name because it's so funny. Fang Fang or Fung Fung or something like that. And um, 
awesome name is what I'm getting at, but she uh, infiltrated him because they send these little honeypots after a congressman, someone in power that's weak enough to think they're hot enough to get someone like this, and then all of a sudden, you know, nothing but pillow talk next to some hot Chinese spy, and they're getting everything. So they're not tough on China. They're sending Kamala Harris. And, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's all, perception is, is reality. Um, where, where if you look at the way the news is reported, talking about Iran and talking about uh, Joe Biden, it's like they, they talk about the Ayatollahs, how they've been running forever. They've been running it forever. It's like it was Ayatollah Khomeini in the 80s, now it's Ayatollah Khomeini or whatever. And they'll say, yeah, the ailing 83-year-old Ayatollah, yet Joe Biden is president at 80, and he's thinking about a second term where they're actually saying um, uh, a lot of – even liberal reporters are – Progressive reporters are talking about getting Kamala Harris off the ticket. For who, who's gonna? So you're gonna take the first female vice president, a woman of color, off the ticket to get more progressive? Like maybe I don't know another eighty year old white politician because he's just not quite there yet. It's 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 just this is the, the shit that's going on, which is, you know brings me back to the World Cup. Um, I think the World Cup is is just awesome, and I love that we can take our minds off this with Thanksgiving and then with Christmas and the World Cup. Uh, I mentioned Wales and and uh, um, how the Wales played the United States, and I I know I butchered that joke. Uh, have you seen Have you seen the uh, Welcome to Wrexham, which is uh, it's a TV show documentary about uh, Rob McElhaney and 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 um, Ryan Reynolds bought a football club in. Wales, and it, it it not only do they learn about it, but uh, the, it, what the different leagues are. You know, the Premier League, Championship League, and I'm going to fuck that up, so I'm not even going to try it. But watching uh, Ryan Reynolds and, and um, Rob McElhaney do this because Ryan Reynolds, I mean, come on, you know who he is, and I remember seeing him. His I think not his first movie, but I remember Van Wilder, which is one of those ultimate kick-ass college comedies, like like Road Trip or freaking Animal House. But uh, you know, you the first time you never. It's like the first time you heard the Rolling Stones you never forget when you see Ryan Reynolds for the first time and then uh, Rob McElhaney like always sunny in Philadelphia if if you haven't seen every episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia I doubt we can ever speak again but uh, yeah so uh, welcome to Wrexham Wales football just expanding the globe in a good way as opposed to the fights that we might have around the uh Thanksgiving table but again as I mentioned before when, when you are at the table and when you are in an argument that you know if you're not having it for fun and you're really getting into it th- you got to think about how much does this matter what I'm yelling about and screaming about and crying about and again I'm a proponent of crying cry your eyes out it's cleansing it's good I mean don't wake up and have a cry for the love of God man get some bacon but um, you know re- you know realize what's important and it's the people who are around you. It's the people that you can see. It's think about the people who were with you before and now they've left us. They're gone. Or they're on deployment. And they might not be home for a while. Or they're gone forever. You know, that's what's important. Think think about them. Give a toast up to the sky. The time, it keeps moving. The clock keeps ticking. And you're never out of the fight. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.